0: Alright, so we'll say good morning. Begin by thanking our sponsors for this morning's share to thank our Tamutora sponsors. ...for the month of Shvat, to thank Mrs. Bracha Strimber for dedicating all the his rushos this month... ...in memory of her husband, Avi Strimber, Avram, Ben Kalman, Eli Ezra Halevi... ...we hope that in the merit of our Tamu Torah... ...the Neshemol Havan Aliyah, and the family E'Nechamah. We thank Avi Tobias for dedicating all of the shirmen's this month... ...in appreciation of the shir and of the Rebano Shalom's incredible Torah. So we'll say with that, let us begin. We have a beautiful, beautiful daf ahead of us today. Today's daf is daf ches... We are picking up Emirat Hashem on Zion Ahmudes. And we are picking up. We are picking up um, I believe Lememro, um, Lememro. Oh no, but Kamiflagi. Right by Does that look right? Good. Two, four, six, eight, ten, twelve, fifteen lines up from the bottom. So Bemai Kamifhlagi. So if you remember again, we had a we ended off with a very interesting machlis, a very interesting discussion about is a mitzora what we we'll call a mitzora mukhlot, right, which is a confirmed mitzora, a person who is who is definitively Tomei, Is such an individual permitted to live with his wife? Tash Mishamita relations, is that permitted or not? So we had Rabbi Huda saying that Halakhala Maisa, it's only interesting enough during the days of purification not during the days of Tumah, that he's not not allowed to be with his wife. say that differently. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda says, yes, when he is tameh, he is permitted to go ahead and be with his wife. It is only during the days, the seven days of his purity that he's counting, that he's not allowed to be with his wife. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda says, no, it's a Kabbalah If he can't be with his wife during the seven days of purification, he certainly cannot live with her during the time that he is tameh, this is the fundamental machlokish. Okay. So the Gemara says as follows. So by my if you were the arguing about. So Rabbi Yosi bar Abihu the Savor Galil Rachman be Meisipurah the Kol Shekain be Mechiluto. So most Rabbi Yosi bar says, look, the Torah explicitly says that he's not allowed to live with his wife. Because remember again, the Torah says that he has to live in the Chutzla Ohel outside of the tent. And the Gemara said that a tent is a reference to one's marital relationship. Yeah. So Rabbi Yosef Yehuda says like this, If he has to live outside of the quote-unquote tent, during the days of his purification, then Allah has come of a comma all the more so that he has to live outside of the tent during the days of his tumour. Umar Sabar may de golly golly, umay de lo golly, lo golly, Yossi Rabbi Yehuda will say, you know, what the Torah told us, the Torah told us. What the Torah didn't tell us, the Torah didn't tell us. In other words, the Torah told us that he has to live outside of the tent during the days of his purification. That's what I know. Why should you automatically then go and apply that same standard when he is in his state of Tumah? To which the Gemara says as follows. To which the Gemara says, Lememra. Is this to say, to be t'al so now The Gemara is taking a step back here. For just a moment, and saying just in, in general, in general, we'll say is first of all, we'll say, I'll say how, how we pass him. The way we pass him, the Ramman Paskins, is that a mitzora is permitted b'tash mishamita. So a person who is a confirmed mitzora, right, meaning he's a definitive mitzora, such an individual is permitted to go ahead and and engage in marital relations. Now again, we also ask him that during the seven days of his purification process, he's not allowed to. Now I will say, I remember, that last piece of information is not subject to dispute. Why not, why not? That's a posik. that's a Pasek. Right. So everyone's going to agree that during the days, ultimately again of his purification, he's sitting outside of the tent, no relations. But during the, during the days of his actual tummah, he is permitted to live with his wife. To which the Gemara says, the Bitcoin Taliban also. also. We're going back now to the original discussion. H- how did we get into this? How do we get into this? Because well, like, we had a Mishnah that discussed what happens if a person presents with tsara'as symptoms during chalamid. Should you go to the Kohen or not? So remember again, Rabbi Meir said, Rabbi Meir said, go to the Kohen. If you're tahar, the Kohen is going to tell you. And if you're Tamei, what's going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> He's not going to say, come back. Come back, come back after the Now, the Chachamim say, no, we don't show up to the Kohen at all. Don't show up to the Kohen at all. To which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, So are you telling me now that the entire process of Saras is dependent on the Kohen, right? I was supposed to say, and this is true whether both according to Rabbi Huda, according to Rabbi Meir, according to Rabbi bar Yehuda, everyone is making the coin an integral and central part of this process. So the Gemara says, In. Yes, that is true. Vatanya, we learned. So, say, so the Pasik says as follows. The Pasik says, uh, the Pasek says, So we'll say, the day that you're seen by the Kohen, right? What do we learn from that? On the day that you are seen by the Kohen, there are days in which you are seen by the Kohen, the yesh yom was really talking to the Kohen. Kohen, there are days in which you look at Saras, and there are days in which you won't look at Tzaraas. What does that mean? Mikan Amru, from here we see say, what the Gemara is picking up on over the drush is, ubayom It's just an interesting, it's just an interesting lotion, Right? On the day it will be seen, which makes it sound like there are days in which you see Tzaraas, and there are days in which you don't see Tzaraas. So, what's an example of days in which I don't see Tzaraas? Mikhan, Amru, Chasan, Shinola Bonega. It's a right, the Khassim. Right? What's the definition of a khassim means a man who got married and he's within Shevarachas, within the first days of marriage. So we we'll so we give him seven days. So you know what? We're we're not looking at any blemishes for seven days. First, we're gonna leave we're gonna leave it alone for seven days. So we'll say, it's not just him, but it's his house. Let's, because we'll remember again, there's a concept of Saras habatim, which means Saras that could sprout up in your home. We won't examine any home Saras either. So ultimately, we look suso for his clothing as well. For his clothing as well. So we'll say, so ultimately, again, we go ahead and we tell him no blemishes. No blemishes. We'll say, if you think about this, by the way, what a powerful in relationships as well. Sometimes, if you want to build a, a good marriage, a meaningful relationship, you have to have Sheva Brachos, Without seeing nigoim, right? You have to try to go. Try to go seven days. Try to go seven days without seeing a blemish. Right? It's a good exercise in general in marriage. Even if a person has been married for for many years, right? Try to establish. It, I'm going to go X amount of time. Maybe seven days is a good one. rachas and I'm not going to find a blemish in you. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna look for something wrong. And ultimately, what's incredible if we if we if we if we if we engage in that exercise you begin to see how many positive things your spouse really has. Okay, after seven days, you might find the faults as well, but at least then you contextualize the shortcomings and realize that they are so outnumbered by the positive things. For seven days, don't look for a nega. That is the secret to marital bliss. So the Gemara says, then it's free. The chin and so we both say again, if he shows up on Yom Tiv, no shtil no shiva simi eregel. both say now the chin is not going on, necessarily going on the Chosen. The chin beregel is about any person, right? Any guy shows up with Taras, with Taras. Ultimately, again on Yom Tiv, we tell him, you know what? Come back after Yom Tiv. So we both say, so this this is learned out from the pasuk. Of Ubayom Heiraos, on the day that he is seen. There are days, or the day that he will see there are days that you look, there are days that you don't look. Rebbe Omer Rabbi says, I don't need that, Rasha. Listen to this. Rebbe says, it's a different passage. Listen to this. This is incredible. This is talking about Saras Habbatin. So I say, remember again, without going into all the details here, a person goes ahead and a person goes ahead and has some type of blemish that occurs in their home, that occurs in their home. And so what happens? So the coin sees it and he sees it a second time. And now he suspects that it's going to be Tsaras. So he's coming to the home. Why is he coming to the home? To declare Tameh. What does the coin do before he arrives at home? He sends a message. What's the message? Clear out your stuff. Because you're about to say, anything inside of the home at the time of the declaration of Tumas Saras becomes Tame. So the Kohen knows it's coming down the pike. But remember, again, nothing, it's, incredi- it's an incredible thing that nothing becomes, the house does not become stricken with Saras until when? Until when? So the Kohen makes his declaration. She's like, I, I haven't gotten there yet. Get the stuff out of the house. So says, listen to this. So so, Rebbe says, So Rebbe will say, if we go ahead and we essentially delay Sarah's declaration for its for a, a mundane matter. we we'll say, what's the mundane matter in this case? What's the mundane matter? Saving your stuff, right? So the coin will say, okay, I'm going to walk slowly. I'm going to walk slowly to get to Ruvain's house before I declare it right, the Tzaraz zone, a closed Tzaraz zone, right, so before I get there, I'm going to walk slowly, get your stuff out, so Rebbe says, if we delay the Tzaraz declaration for a Dvar rishos, then for, for, for a mundane matter, then all the more so we could delay it for a Dvar Mitzvah, and Abbas, what are the examples of a Dvar Mitzvah, again, a Chasson during Shavar Brachas, Someone else throwing yomtiv v'samachta Incredible, incredible. So my benai, I will say, So interesting enough, what's the difference between them? These two opinions. So I'm darshan. Says the truth is there's no practical difference. The only difference is where they're learning it out from. See, I will say, The first opinion. The first opinion is learning it out from Rabbi Huda. Rabbi Huda's learning it out from ube'Yom Heyraos, right? And he darshans from that. There are days you look at Taras. There are days you don't look at Saras. Rebbe is learning it out from Saras Habbatim. Tziva coin. The fact that the coin delays his declaration to save your possessions tells me if you could do it for a Dvarashus, you certainly could do it for a Dvar Nitzvah. So what's the practical difference? Sabahi says the truth is there is no practical difference. They're actually saying the same thing. The machlokis is just what is the source? That was in a watch as Rava says, no, there actually is a practical difference. Ravah Amar, Dvar HaRashus says, What are you talking about? There is a major practical difficulty. According to Rabbi Huda, the license to delay Tzara's declaration is only in what case? Only in what case? A Dvar Mitzvah. Remember again, because he, remember his, his examples. He's, he's learning that from Beyom Heiraos, and he's saying, If you're Chasin and Shevabrachas, if it's Yom, if you could delay. But according to Rabbi Huda's Drasha, you don't necessarily have the right to delay a Tzaras declaration for a Dvar Now, that being said, even Rabbi Huda would agree, that when can you delay for a Dvar for Tzaras Habatin, Tzaras in your home, because then the Torah, the Kohen, that's a Pasek, right? The Pasek says that the Kohen says, clear out the house before I get there. So it could be that in the case of house Tzaras, you could delay for a Dvar but what we call a Tzaras Haguf, Tzaras on your body, the only right you have to delay is for a dvar mitzvah, not for a dvar Whereas Rebbe will say, no. Just as you could delay tzaras habatim for a dvar you could also delay the declaration of tzaras haguf for a dvar as well. To which the Gemara says, Rebbe Huda. I'm sorry. Rebbe Huda. And we say, Rabbi Huda will not learn out Tzara'as haguf From Tzara'as habayis For one simple reason The whole notion of Tzara'as habayis Is an incredible khidish. It's an incredible novelty What's the novelty? Because you know, in general, in general the Halacha is That Itzim and avonim Right, Wood and stones do not contract ritual impurity. They, they do not become tamay. Yet, the only one case where they do become tamay is in saras, habatim, is in, is, in, is in home saras. And therefore, Rabbi Huda feels that because that is such a chiddish, you can't learn out bodily saras from house saras. So, so, interesting, so interestingly enough, the so I will say, so interestingly enough, what well you have over here is as well. You have Rabbi Huda saying that, look, there's two different alochas. Two different alochas. There's halachas of saras haguf, saras habatim. So, saras haguf wants the halacha. We could delay saras declaration. When? When? What we call dvar mitzvah. and chalamayr. And if you could come up with any other case of dvar mitzvah, if there's a mitzvah reason to delay the declaration, we could do so. But you cannot delay for a dvarashos. It has to be a dvar mitzvah. But yet, even Rabbi Gudu will agree in saras habatim. and how's saras? you could delay even for Dvaroshos. And I was say, that's not a Kiddush, that's the pasik. Because there the Kohen says, before I get to the house, clean out your stuff. On the other hand, Rebbe will say, once you establish that for Tzara'as HaBaten, you could delay, even for Dvaroshos, then Tzara'as is Tzara'as is Tzara'as. And therefore, by Tzara'as HaGuf, you could also delay for a devar Rishos as well. A really fascinating and incredible machlokes. So, the gemara goes weiter? So, the gemara says as follows. So, the gemara says, Varebi mm-hmm. amar Rabbi says, "The truth is, you need to state this in both cases. Why? Watch this. Rebbe says, the gemara say? Rabbi amar gufe so I'll say, now listen to this. Now, Rebbe's drush is very interesting. Rebbe's going to say that in the same way of Tzara'as Habbatim, you could delay the declaration for a Tzara'as HaGuf is learned out from Tzara'as HaBayis. And if in Tzara'as HaBayis, you could delay the declaration even for a dvarashos, in Tzara'as HaGuf, you could do the same as well. So according to Rebbe, then we have to ask if that's the case, then why do I need the pasuk of ubayom heiraos? To which Rebbe will say I need both pasuk, and I'll tell you why. of Rachman ubayom heiraospo. If the Torah would have just said ubayom heiraospo, which I will say seems to tell us that there are days you look at tzaras, days you don't look at tzaras. Havamina, the dvar mitzvah and the dvar reshuslo. I would have thought the only time you could delay a tzaras declaration is when in a case of a dvar mitzvah, but not for a dvar Therefore. Chasav Rachmanovitziva Hakoin. Therefore, the pasuk says Vitziva Hakoin, and Vitziva Hakoin teaches us by tzaras habatim that you could delay for dvarashos. And if by tzaras habatim you could delay for dvarashos, so by tzaras haguf you could do the same. Because of Rachmanovitziva Hakoin, if the Torah would have just said Vitziva Hakoin and left out biyom hiraos, have amina hani in tolav tumadugufei, I would have thought like this: the reason you could delay tzaras habatim ultimately again. Is why? Is because again, it's not bodily tzaras. And maybe we just treat non bodily tzaras in a more mekel, in a more lenient fashion. About de Gufei, But ultimately again, in tuma de Gufei, perhaps not, perhaps not. Ultimately, therefore the Gemara says, Tzricha Therefore, both Psukim are necessary. Sefer, so will say, what ends off over here is something really amazing. Is a fundamental machlokes between Rabbi Huda and Rabbi. And I will say, here's, here's what they agree on. Let's go with what they agree on. What do they agree on? What's, what's the one point everyone agrees on? Saras sabbatim. What can you do with Sarah sabbatim? When are you allowed to delay a declaration for Saras sabbatim? Right? For pretty much any reason. Right? Dvar mitzvah and even Dvarashos. Right? Now remember, that's not a Kiddush. Why is that not a Kiddush? Where do we get that from? That's a Pasa. Because the Torah says the Kohen will send word, and he tells you to clear out your house before he gets there. What is the coin doing? He's saving my money, saving my possessions. That's a dvarashos. So everyone agrees on that point. Wherein lies the machlokes? The machlokes is, can you apply that standard to tzara'as haguf? That's the machlokes So Rebbe says, yes, yes you can. And just like you could delay a tzaraas declaration for dvarashus by your home, you could do so for bodily tzaraas as well. Whereas Rabbi Huda says, "No, no, tzaraas haibaten. Right tzaras, the home tzaraas has its halacha. Tzaraas ha'guf can be delayed, but only for what purpose? For dvar mitzvah. For dvar mitzvah. Beautiful. So we'll that's the fundamental machlokas. Amar am yeshum shata rabab yeshum shiata So going back to what we said before, there are days in which the coin is permitted to examine tzaraas." And days in which he does not, so the Gemara says, My mashma, Abaye, so, we'll say, so how do you see that? In other words, they're darshaning this from the Pasak of Ubayom Hiraos. So how do you see that in the words? Listen to this. Amraba bay liftov rachmana biyom. See the Torah could have just said "Byom, Hiraos, right? On the day that the Nega, that the right that the blemish is seen by the coin. Why do you have to write ubayom? Which is a longer form. I must say, we've been around the Talmudic block enough to know that what? Whenever the Torah writes a word in what appears to be an unnecessarily elongated fashion, even if it's just elongated by a letter or two, it allows us to make a drusha with the word. So Abayi says the Torah could have just said, Biyom raos, On the day that the nega is seen by the coin. Why does, why does, The Torah have to write Ubayom to which the Gemara says, to which the Gemara says, My Ubayom Shmamina Yesh Yom Shaataroa The Yesh Yom Shiatara. So I'll say, Ubayom teaches me that what? Ubayom teaches me that that again there's a Drasha. There's a day that the coin does look, and there's a day that the coin doesn't look. That's the Drasha. Rava Amarava says no. Kula krayasera. The truth is, I mean, yes, and no, I agree with you, but the truth is the, the whole pasik itself is unnecessary. Kula krayusero. It's an it's, it's an extraneous pasik. Why? He says deim came, lichtov rachmana, The Torah now when it says meaning it means it, the whole word is extra. The Torah doesn't even have to say bayom at all. You can leave out that word in its totality. Just say Ubeheiraos. <laughs> When the Nega is seen by the coin. The whole word ubayom is extra. So the Gemara says, My Ubayom mm-hmm. Shmami no Sha'ataroebo Shiataroebo. So we'll the whole so again, what's great about these machloks we'll is they're not they're not arguing on the facts, right? They're not arguing on the conclusion, they're arguing on the drasha. So here you have Abaye saying the Torah could have said. Bayom. Instead, it says, Ubayom. What's the drusha? There are days that you look at the nega. There are days that you don't. Right? Days that you don't. So, Rav says, No. The drusha is actually more profound. The whole word, Ubayom, is an extra word. The whole word is an extra word. And therefore, again, the word also teaches. But, but again, the drusha is the sin to teach me. There are days when I'll examine the blemish. Days in which I won't. So, the Gemara Listen to this. Vabaye. Abaye says, No, no, no. The word bayom is actually necessary. I'll tell you why. Listen, this is fascinating. No, both say bayom is actually important because what does bayom teach me? That a coin is only permitted to go ahead and examine saras when by day. You can't look at a blemish. You can't look at the nega at night. Only by day. Only by day. So the gemara says. So, so, we'll say, so therefore, Abaye says, Abayi says that you need that you need the word Ubayom to teach you that halacha. So I, where does Rabbi get that from? from Rabbi, where do I get right? From where do I learn this halacha that you could only examine it by day and not at night? Nafgalay, listen to this. So we'll say, listen to this. So they learn out from the pasuk. Ultimately, again, from the vision, right, Literally, the way the coin sees it. So, Ruba will say that that means, by yom. Right, means when the coin can see it. When could the coin see it? By day and not by night. To which the universe says, no, 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 that comes to teach you something different. He will say that comes to exclude a coin who is blind in one eye. In order for a coin to paskin on Saras Shilus, he has to have vision on both eyes, because the Torah says, "Right, the chol hakoin, the coin's eyes see it." All right, virava Nami by lelachi, I Rava. Don't you need this pasuk for the same drasha? Enachi nami veela bayom volobalayla nafgele michenega nira libabayas. So we'll say, so where does Rav learn this out from? Rav learns out the idea that you could only go ahead and look at the Tsaras by day and not by night. From the Lashon of Kinega Nira Li babayis. Li velola ori. It's seen by me and not with the assistance of any light. Which means that it's only examined by daylight. Bae Abai will say, Ime Hassan, if you learn it out from there, Hava Amina Hani Mili gufe. I might have thought this only applies to, let's say, tzaras of the home or tzaras of clothing. de But a person has saras literally on his body. oro. Unless you perhaps, again, he's even able to examine the blemish by light, by artificial light or by candlelight, I should say. Kamash, not the case. So, will say, so interestingly enough, I was going to point out the facts here aren't disputed, right? Interestingly enough, the coin could only examine Tzara'a's blemishes by day. In fact, the halacha is that a coin who is blind in one eye is not permitted to rule on Tzara'a's blemishes. Right? so the, these facts are all agreed upon. The machlokes ultimately, I'm sorry, the, the shile is the drasha, how do you learn it out from? But again, I'm gonna say, but the original the previous makhlukes in Rabbi and Rabbi Huda, that makhlukes does stand in that what everyone is agreeing on is as follows. In saras Habatim, you could delay, you could delay the Tsaras declaration even for a Dvar Rishos, right? It doesn't have to be a Dvar Mitzvah. On a person, everyone agrees you could delay it for a Dvar Mitzvah, right? The machlokes is, can you delay Saraas haguf the declaration of Guf saras for a Dvar Rishos? Rabbi is saying no, Rabbi saying yes. I will say so again for our purposes. Though let's close out the circuit with some So Remember, how did this whole thing start? How did this whole thing start? This whole thing started with what do you do if you present with a saras blemish on yamtiv on chalamayid? Do you go to the coin or not? So I will say. So the Rambam Paskins. The Rambam says this is in Hilchos Yamtiv. Interesting. Not in Hilchos Saras. In Hilchos Yamtiv. Let me see if I think I printed out Tuchos Saras as well. Oh, no. Okay, so Tuchos Yamtiv. The, the 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 Rambam writes as follows. This is in Parag Zayin Halacha Very simple. He says, "Ein you So, the the Rambam Paskins is, you don't go to the coin on the Yamtiv. You just don't go. So in other words, we adopt essentially the second opinion. Not that you go and if the right, if, the, if you're tar, the coin will tell you tar, and if you're not, so they come back after yom Tiv, You don't show up to the coin on chalamaid, right? And if you were to show up, the coin will tell you, sorry, closed, right? Closed. <coughs> come back after yom Tiv, and we're not even examining. In the of the magid mishnah. The Magid Mishnah highlights this idea and he says, Rabbi Yossi says, Lo, the haq of the So the Ramam says, We're passing like Rabbi Yosi. Rabbi Yosi was the one who said, we just don't examine Negoim. We don't examine Saras, an Maid at all. So if you show up, so the Brahmachim therefore says, don't show up, don't go to the coin. But if you did, the coin won't even examine at all. The coin will just simply tell you to come back after Yom so We'll say, beautiful, let's go right there. Mishnah, we'll say really great suyghis. Va'od Am Rabbi Meir. Rabbi Meir. says as follows, Melakit Adam. Mishnah and Chesom and Melakit Adam at Samos, Avev v'imam, Simchilo. says, both say that this is On you're allowed to collect the bones of your father or your mother, Rashi says, and reinter them into a family grave. So we'll it's actually very interesting. Um, yeah. You know, if, if you've ever been, if you've ever been in, in Yerushalayim, in, in East Yerushalayim, to the kever of Shimonat Sadik. Right, Shimon Sadik, right? This is Shimon Sadik from Pirkei Avos, right? The last member of the Anshikinesa Sakidola. So he's buried in in East Yushamaim. So right next to his grave, they they uncovered there's a fascinating um, there's a burial site. They call it the Ma'ara of the Sanhedrinakhtano, right? Sanhedrin Katan. It's a mass burial grave. And what you see in there is something fascinating. What they often used to do is person would die, person would die. And they would go ahead, and, people die, and they would place the body like in cave, in a cave. And often what they would actually, were actually going to see is next Mishnah, they would, they, would, they would carve out places inside the wall of the cave. Place the body there, the body decomposes, and then often what they would do afterwards is collect the bones and reinter the bones in a family plot. In the family plot. So that's the classic case of Likot at samos. So again, the body was, was buried properly. Then the bones are taken and reinterred in a family plot. So this is Rabbi Meir says, a person could do this on Chalamaid. Now why can you do this on Chalamaid? Ultimately, Rabbi Meir says, because it's a simcha. What's the simcha? What's the simcha? That a person has the opportunity to bring his parents' remains to final resting place in the family plot. Right? That's 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 a simcha. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yossi says, Eva Rabbi Yossi says, No, you can't do that on Chalamayid. Because at the end of the day, that creates Avelos, both emotionally as well as halachically, as we'll see in the Gemara. And remember, on Yomtiv, there's a mitzvah of Samachta Bech You have to be in a state of joy. So therefore, you can't go out and do this. So the Gemara says, Rabbi Yossi Omer, Eva Hulu, sorry. Lo Yor Adam Meso. A person should not go ahead. Now, if you look at Lash, Rashi over here, Lo Yor Adam Almeso, in, we'll say Ye'orer, Ye'orer is a lotion of like his oreros, of becoming awakened, right? So literally a person should not emotionally awaken himself about his dead. So we we'll say, what does this mean? Look at Rashi. So lo will say, what does so, I will say the idea over here is that we're going to see in the Gimara what it means is that Allah, if someone lost a relative within a month or two before Tiv, they should not, they used to have professional eulogizers. Right? These people, you tell them a little bit about your relative, and Mamish, they made it into a, a Hespid that was. You know, a, a real a real beautiful, like emotional emotional husband. So, so Rabbi Yossi says, I'm sorry, so the Gimar says <laughs> you should not go ahead and engage in mourning practices over your deceased relative, below <laughs> yaspidenu, nor should you eulogize them call regal within 30 days before yom Thib. So I said this is really very interesting because what the Mishnah is doing over here is limiting morning practices not just honestly so I want to just point out like like the like the transition the Mishnah began with the concept of gathering remains on yom Thib itself and that's a Machlokas, right? So the first opinion of the Mishnah says, Rabbi Meir says, it's mutter because it actually gives a person simcha knowing that they're bringing their parents' remain to a family plot. Rabbi Meir, or, sorry, Rabbi Ossi says, absolutely not, you can't do that. That creates Avelos, that's sad. The Mishnah then transitions to limiting morning practices before Yomtiv, right? The last part of the Mishnah is talking about morning practices before Yomtiv, and even within a month before Yomtiv, you have to be careful, you have to curtail morning practices in order that it doesn't create an atmosphere of mourning on Yomtiv itself. Says the Gemara, or Minhu, or Minhu, but I just, I, I meant to mention on the last sugya, just the sugya. just one other takeaway, just a, a simple use which you all know which is how powerful it is that in the Tzaras Sugya you notice that the final conclusion is everything is dependent on the word of the coin, right? One of the great pieces of Musr from the whole Parsha of Tzaras is how words create realities. We often assume that words are just words, right? Words are nothing, actions are everything. Now that is true, actions absolutely speak louder than words, but words absolutely unequivocally create realities. And we see this in different ways, right? Words could create tumah, as what happens with Saras, words could create Tara, as it happens with Saras, we see this ultimately by Karbonos, you could take an animal, right, right, you could take an animal, and one moment it's an animal, the sheep is a sheep, the next moment you say Harezu Ola, and suddenly again there's a brand new level of sanctity conferred upon this animal, we'll say our words really have a dramatic impact, and our words, right, the Koach absolutely creates realities. All right, back to this Gimara. So says the gemara or minhu hamalake that's almost avevi'imu hareze mis'avel alayhem khalayom ein And I say, there's an interesting halocha, and this is halokha l'mayzenokho savelos. We'll say, if a person is going ahead and moving the remains of their parent. all right, it's not just parents, anyone who you're obligated to mourn for. Person's mourning, moving the remains of a loved one. What's the halokha? You observe essentially one day of Shiva the day that you 're moving the remains you 're in a state of Shiva just for that day, literally the day nightfall comes it 's no longer there there is this there is this kind of bubble of Avelos that, that overtakes you that day. Varmav Chista. So the Gemara is raising on Kasha. Because here, Rabbi Meir in the Mishnah said, that on chalamai you're allowed to go ahead and move the remains of your parents. Why? Because he says, Simcha. The Gemara says, Simcha, you have to observe like a quasi-Shiva on that day that you move your parents' remains. Mm-hmm. Furthermore, again, the Gemara says, This is interesting. Even if the remains are in a sheet that you're carrying. And I was supposed say, even if you don't see the remains, this is not a Didn't see the remains. Let's say the remains are packed up, right? And all you're doing is engaging in the transfer halachah. you still have to observe a day of avelos that day. So how say it's a day of simcha? Amra Abaye, listen to this: simchas alav. No, no, no. What it means is as follows. What it means is that what Rameir is saying is Look here, Ashi, kilomar, oseg, haragal, malake, malake says like this Even though you're collecting the remains of your parents and under a normal circumstance that would generate a bubble right? The small window of Avelos because you're so immersed in the Simcha of yamtiv you don't feel that Avelos. That's Rabbi Meir's idea. I agree with you that during the rest of the year, if you do this, it generates a sense of Avelos and you have to observe uh, like a shortened period of Shiva. But on Yom Tiv, you're so shakua, right? You're so immersed in the Simchav that you don't feel the Abelos of this moment. So they will say that's the Machlokis. Now, the truth is, we pass in like Rabbi Yossi, and therefore, again, we would not move remains on Chalamayit, because ultimately, again, we Paskin that whenever a person does move remains, they have a, a very short period of Shiva. During that, this is not Shiva, it 's one day. Oh. right They will go ahead and observe a shortened period of avelos during that one day of the removal, and therefore we will not do that on Chalamayit itself. Incredible. Loya Al Meso. so, so let 's listen to this. What does it mean Loya al Meso. So kat Amd, sabdo Arava, Amri Yifkun ime komiri Liba. It was that they had these eulogizers in Eretz Yisrael and these eulogizers would come around and they would say, Yifkon ime, cry with him, kol libe, all those who are of bitter heart. So the idea being is you would not go ahead and hire these people on Chalamait because again, at the end of the day, they usher in, they're good at their job. They're good at their job and their job is to awaken emotion within people over loss. Okay, Rashi says over Yifkun Ime, Afilu Hachi Lame Lo So will say you're not allowed to. So in other words, when, when these people would eulogize, they would encourage people to others to cry with those who had encountered loss. So it created a, a, a wave of emotion, and therefore, again, the Mishnah says you're not allowed to have someone do this on Yom Tiv. Okay, Shloshim Yom. So we'll say it's actually very interesting. So then the Mishnah said. The Mishnah said that lo adam vlo yaspidenu So we'll says, so you shouldn't engage the services of this eulogizer within thirty days. The crier, the eulogizer, you should not go ahead and you should not go ahead and engage their services. Now the Gemara says this is fascinating. Maishnas shloshim So we'll says, so what, why thirty days? Watch this. Kahana, Listen to this. There was once a guy who had saved money for Aliyah the Regal, right? It cost money to make the trip for Aliyah the Regal. He was saving money. And a sapton, a eulogizer, came to his house and right knocked on the door and started eulogizing. Whether this person experienced the loss or maybe he was just in town, right? He's going door to door eulogizing. So what happens? And the wife was so moved by the eulogy that what did she do? She took the aliyah Laregal money and she gave it to the eulogizer. And the guy didn't make aliyah He didn't go to aliyah regal, He had no money. He didn't make aliyah l'regel. He didn't go to Yerushalayim on that yom I So i will say, This is a fascinating story. On that moment, they said, At that point, Chazal said, You know what? A person, a person should not go ahead, and a person should not go ahead and essentially eulogize or hire eulogizes their dead for their dead within thirty days. So I will say. Now you have to ask yourself something fascinating, really, because one story happened one time. Chazal make old no, so of course not. Again, I won't say that's not. we We know that's not how halacha works, right? But what it's saying is Chazal saw that this was a concern. In other words, people used the services of these eulogizers frequently, and again, they charged money, and there is a limited pool of resources within the community, and if people are paying eulogizers 30 days, within the 30 days before Yom Thibos, remember again, if there's one thing you could count on, it's what? It's what? One thing you could count on at all times is people die. Right, de- de- death, death is something you could definitely count on, which means that there are going to be levayas leading right up to I remember the first levaya I ever did, right, when I first got to the house. The first levaya I ever did was a levaya on eref pesach. It took place forty-five minutes before Yom Tiv. Forty-five minutes before my first levaya. Forty-five minutes before Yom Tiv. So I'll say so. So again, it was a. You know, and those are those are interesting situations because the person sat shiva for maybe six minutes. That was it. They sat actually in the cemetery for maybe six minutes. That was the end because yamtiv cancels out shiva. We're actually going to see these sugis in moit cotton. Again, an interesting dynamic. But the point that Chazal understood was. People have a, right, so people always die, and people have limited resources, and therefore, again, people are going to go ahead and right, These eulogizers were an important part of the Leviathan service, like so. said, so today, people have a rabbi to officiate. It seems like the Bismarck Gemara, or maybe you didn't have rabbis officiating, right? you had these eulogizers, right? You had these people, and you paid them money. You paid them money. So, the idea that Gemara says over here is. We're we're nervous that people have limited resources, people die all the time, and people are going to go ahead and use their resources for this and not end up being Ola Regal. And therefore, Chazal said, you know what, for the 30 days before Yom when people are generally saving for the Ali al Regal trip, we don't want you hiring eulogizers. Incredible. Shmuel so Amar Shmuel says, "Shmuel says something a little bit different. The, really, the reason we don't want these eulogizers, right, or general has paid them within thirty days, is because the dead is not forgotten for thirty days. Now, what does that mean? Take a look at the top Rashi. Chesam of shloshim yom. Kilomar de e shloshim yom." This is very interesting. abai says the concern is like this: within thirty days, the loss is felt most acutely. Most acutely. the kinds of Therefore, what Chazal were is as follows: if you're eulogizing within thirty days of yom Div you'll probably end up still being in a state of eulogizing on Yom itself. So this has nothing to do with spending money and just everything to do with the emotional state that I'm going to be in once Yom comes. And Abayi says, Chazal did not want me to be in the emotional state of active eulogizing on Yom because that will erode my simchas Yamtiv. And therefore they said no eulogies within 30 days. So therefore I both say, so according to, according to, according to uh, Rav, according to Rav, the issue of no eulogies within 30 days is a financial issue. We don't want you spending your aliyah, the regal money on the eulogizers. And according to Abaye, oh, okay. Abaye, Shmuel, thank you. According to Shmuel, according to Shmuel, again, the issue is one of being in a proper emotional state for Yom Tiv. And if you're eulogizing within 30 days before Yom Tiv, your emotional state is going to be one of eulogy and loss. And when it comes to Yom Tiv, we need you to be v'samachta v'chagecha in a state of joy. My Ben said, what's the practical difference in these two opinions? Very simple. So, say let's say your best friend is a professional eulogizer and he says, "You know what? I'll, this one I'm, I'm going to give my right, first one's on the house, right? I'm going to give right, I'm going to give you the first eulogy for free." So, we'll say, so now again, according to Rav, there's no financial issue cuz mylelele money is safe, right? It's it's good. I I, I don't need to spend any money. But Lamaisa, but Lamaisa, according to Shmuel, the issue of being in an emotional state of loss coming into Yom Tev is still present, and therefore, again, I will say, with now we not, it would not, not work, or you would not be able to do it. So I will say, it happened to me. We passed an that we would not hire eulogizers. We do deliver Hesbaden even within 30 days of Yom Tiv. This is actually an interesting Machlokas HaRishonim. There are many Rishonim that say we should not deliver eulogies within 30 days. We do deliver eulogies. We won't deliver eulogies on Erev Yom Tiv, Right? On Erev Yom Tiv. But we do deliver eulogies. Although I will say in Chodesh Nisan. Right, in Chodesh Nissan, we don't deliver eulogies. Again, this is a whole discussion in general about what to do in situations where we don't deliver eulogies. The halachic definition of a eulogy, of a hespid, is a is a speech that is designed to evoke sorrow, sadness, and loss. So often, based on an of Yehuda, what we do in times where eulogies are asr, is we limit our words to what we call divrei shalach. Words of praise. And also you know this, there are two ways you could deliver a eulogy. You could deliver a eulogy that focuses on, I can't believe what we lost, right? So young, so much to do, so much to accomplish, or focus on the positive things about the person. Here is what this person meant. Here is what they stood for. Here is what they lived for. So I'm focusing on the positive. Things. So the note of the Yehuda says, Divrei Shavach, words of praise are permitted. Even when eulogies are usher. So again, when to use that no debihuda, How to use that no debihuda, There's a whole discussion in halacha. But again, I won't say that's the sugya. Good. Let's go back to Mishnah. Let's say incredible sugyas. In cholfrin kuchin ukvaris b'moyed. I will say you can't dig kuchin and kvaras. We're going to define those terms in the Gemara. On Yom Tiv, On say, why? Rashi says, Tircha Yeseira. Now we're talking about if you don't need it. Right? If you don't need it. So sometimes they want to proactively dig graves. That graves are ready whenever you will need them. Can't do it on Chalamayi. Tircha Yeseira. Aba mechanchin but Rabboi say, what can you do? You could adjust kuchim, which are already dug. Again, we'll discuss that as well. You could go out and make a... is a, a laundry pool. A laundry pool. You can make a laundry pool on chalamayid. You could also fashion a casket. You could build a casket, a coffin, as long as what? As long as you're doing it in the same chatzor, in the same courtyard in which the deceased is lying. In other words, the concern the Mishnah has with making a casket is... You can't, make, you can't proactively make caskets. In other words, you can't say, you know what, look, listen, I'm off from work anyway. I'm off from work anyway. Might as well knock out a couple of caskets, right? You can't, right? You, that, that, that you can't do. That you can't do. What you can do is create the casket because someone died and they say buried on halamai. But in order to do that, you have to make the casket in the same chatzar that the deceased is lying in. Because this way people know that I'm making it for the deceased. Rabbi Huda Omer, Rabbi Oser ele'im kei nyesh Rabbi Huda says, you can do it, but the boards have to already be cut. Rabbi Huda says, you can't cut boards on Yom Tif. So if the boards are already cut before Yom Tif, you could assemble the casket again in the chaser where the mace is, but you can't start cutting boards on Yom Tif. Says the Gemara, my kuchin and my kvaras. So we'll say, what's kuchin and kvaras? We'll say, this is fascinating. I'm Rabbi Huda, kuchin bechafira, kvaras bebinin. They we'll both say this is fascinating. Kuchin, kuchin refers to, I mentioned this before, This is say they had burial caves, and the way you would bury people is, you would dig into the sides of the cave. You would hollow out a cavity. They say they bury like this today in, in, in Haram Anuchos now, they're building whole subterranean chambers in Haram Anuchos, and literally again, they're burying people in the sides, of in, in, in the walls of the caves, on the burial, but it's in the walls of the caves. So you hollow it out, you slide the body in, you seal it up, you seal it up, and that's the burial chamber. So the Gemara says, so that's Kulchen. Kvaros Ababinyin. But listen to this, Kvaros is actually, you build a structure on top of the body, but it's not in the ground, it's on top of the ground. I will say that's also called in-the-ground burial. In other words, if you go ahead and you build some earthen structure on top of the body, that's, it's, that's called Kvura, right? That's called the Kvura, but all, I don't know, good. So, so Kvura Bebenyan, so that supports this, Elohim Kuchen, Elohim kvaras. Whether it's in Kuchen and Kvaros, Kuchen Bechafira, Kuchen is dug out inside of the wall of the cave, and ultimately, again, the kever is on a structure on top of the ground. say So again, I want to be clear. It's not the pshat, just so you understand. It's not the pshat that like there's a coffin sitting on the ground and you build like a house around it. What it means is you're building an earthen structure right on top of the coffin. Right? So that's, that's, considered, that's considered burial, baras That's considered burial in the earth as well. If there's earth on top of the kever, even if you're not going in and digging into the ground itself. So what I see, you can't go ahead and proactively dig graves on because that's but so what it means is, if the grave, let's say again, you had a, you had a kuch that was too long, right? Too long, you can narrow it. Right? You can you, or you, you can make it shorter, you can make it more narrow. So you can make it longer, you can make it shorter, you can make it wider, you can make it thinner. In other words, if it's already there, then you could adjust it to fit the needs of the myself. So well say it's, it's it's fascinating by the way, the lushan, right? Hakuchen. Right? So what does es Hakuchen mean? You could adjust, you could adjust the burial space. So let's say it's fascinating because you see from here that what's the essence of chinuch, right? What's, what's this key to successful chinuch? It has to be adjusted. It has to be adjusted, right? No two children learn the same, right? No two children are the same, whether the way that as parents were mechanech our children or a yeshiva or a school is mechanech its students, right? Chinuch has to be adjusted. Sometimes a little wider, sometimes a little shorter, sometimes a little longer, sometimes, but, but, but no, there's no such thing as this is the model, this is the model, and it's going to work for everyone. Chinuch <laughs> means ability to adjust and pivot each according to their needs. So I'll we'll say very quickly, we'll just finish with this. You can make a nevrachas. My nevrachas, I'm ready do This is a bakia, very helpful. This is a bakia. I says, now the Gemara says over here, we're going to see bakia, also means a laundry pool. So the Gemara says, bakia. Am rabaye b'tay merav k'ana kiho, Ubar again, exceptionally helpful. Ki Ubar means a large pool and a small pool. So we'll often what they would have is they would build a large pool, again, for laundry purposes or for other types of purposes, and they would have like a small runoff pool. So interestingly enough, apparently, according to the Gimara, the creation of these laundry pools is not, it's, not, it's relatively easy. And i will say, remember again, are you allowed to do laundry in chalamait? Can you do laundry in Chalmaid? It depends. If you need it, you can, right? You, you can't do laundry for no reason. But let's say your yamtiv clothing is ready and all you have is one set of yamtiv clothing. If you need to do laundry, you're permitted to do so. Because of that, the creation of the laundry pool is mutter. Yeah. And it's not Turk is here because it's considered to be something you could construct with relative ease, right? So we'll have to stop over here. Merit session, we'll pick up here tomorrow. Shkoyach. Yeah, now I have some more to ask more for today. I'll show you.